0: was worth braving the rain for this morning, wasn't it? Was that good? Did they do a good job? We're so grateful for our kids. They work so hard. And some of you may say, well, I know my kids, they didn't have to work that hard to uh, play the king or the, you know, the self-absorbed prima donna in the band. Uh, Listen, we all have a little Herod in us, don't we? King Herod was, uh, as just as we heard in the script, was a very paranoid man. He was a man empowered, and he'd been empowered for at least three decades as someone who was named by the Roman Senate as the King of the Jews. That was his title. And you can see in the script a little misunderstanding, which uh, is a big misunderstanding that cost the lives of a lot of little children in Jerusalem. And uh, it was one that... I mean, he had no rivals in his mind. Matter of fact, when there was someone rising up to be a rival in Herod's life, he would uh, cut them down. He killed four of his own family members because he was suspicious that they were after his crown, after the throne. And, and we recognize, even if we put it in a play with a, you know, an, an arrogant cowbell player, right, we all want to be uh, on the top. We all want to be supreme. And back in the 1940s, when the first uh, time we had this little drummer boy, Carol, written, um, the point was that, uh, you know, you don't have to be someone great, obviously, to come and give to the king an acceptable sacrifice. And the reality of coming humbly to God and giving him our all was what the Really, what Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2 in the Nativity story is all about. He brings the message to humble shepherds. He has the baby born in a humble stable. He uh, brings all of the elements of a uh, humble picture and not, as we heard, in a palace of gold, the uh, king. He is the king of kings and lord of lords, and he was the king of the Jews, but uh, we struggle with that. We struggle to let anyone else be the king in our lives. I and mean, when you hear a story like this, and you all know the story of the uh, men of the east, the wise men, what's called in uh, Scripture the Magi, uh, they're they're a mysterious bunch, right? Here they come from a foreign land, and you think, why would these foreign kings from way out east, which of course was a reference to uh, media or also the name Persia, uh, the Mesopotamian era, why would we have Persians coming? Well, the Magi were a, a caste of people within Uh, Persia that were, uh, they were astronomers and maybe a little slash astrologers. They had a uh, religious priestly role. Uh, Most of them were serving as uh, some kind of uh, intermediary between the people in Persia and the religion of Zoroastrianism, which happened to be a religion uh, that was rare among what the preceding empires were all about, Assyria and Babylon. They were all um, polytheistic, but we had the Zoroastrians uniquely were monotheists. They believed in one God, uh, the God who uh, ruled the world. And the reality was that they had a very special guest in the uh, kingdom, and he became a guest. He wasn't really brought as a guest. He was brought as a slave. His name was Daniel. In 586, the uh, Babylonians came in and conquered Jerusalem, and they took the brightest uh, young slaves into Babylon and made them serve in the court. And Daniel, of course, if you know the story of Daniel, he rises to be an important figure because he's able to divine the dreams of Nebuchadnezzar and he ends up being a very important person. He's named in the book of Daniel as a, uh, a leader over the, the magi, over the magicians of the kingdom. And uh, he, of course, leaves behind a record of the prophecies of a coming king. And he's very specific about the cascading, rolling on empires of the world. Right, you had Babylon falling to the Medo-Persians, and he, Daniel's ministry arches over both of those. But then he speaks of that power center being shifted to Greece and then to Rome. As he describes them, it fits perfectly what's happened in that intertestamental period. And, and then he speaks of a king that was going to come, one like a son of man who is presented before the ancient of days, coming on the clouds of heaven, and one to whom all dominion is given. That's happening in Daniel chapter 7. It's a reference really back to a kingdom in Daniel chapter 2 that is represented as a rock that is going to displace all the kingdoms of Babylon and all the kingdoms of Medo-Persia and, and Greece and Rome. This would be a kingdom that would grow one day like a it says this big rock would fill the earth, and it would need a king, of course, and the king is described in the book of Daniel as one who was coming after the succession's Of of, of kingdoms. Well, of course, in the first century, Rome is in place, and 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 the power has shifted out west to Rome, and so they're thinking clearly. They're a part of a class of people descended from 500 years earlier uh, Daniel's oversight over the kingdom, and and they were thinking, where is this king? There was a German uh, astronomer about the time the King James Bible was being translated in the early 1600s, uh, Johann Kepler. And, and Kepler uh, wanted to find out, I mean, he was astronomer by, by by trade, that's what he did as a scholar, and he wanted to figure out, what was this star that the Magi were following? And uh, as we think about the astronomy of the Magi, and though we have conflicting views of what all they did in this priestly caste for the Zoroastrians, but the... Uh, findings of Kepler were, as he started to date the conjunction, the pulling together in the sky of Jupiter and Saturn, uh, he identified a, a supernova that exploded, you know, as a white dwarf and the, the whole process of star formation. This bright star basically appeared during the conjunction of, of Saturn and, and Jupiter. And he said that would have been like a, a huge event. And, and it happened two years before... The birth of Christ, and we know when that is based on the death of uh, of Herod, and all, all the things fit together. And perhaps he was right in this that he said these astronomers clearly were seeing this in the horizon on the east, and they thought uh, maybe this is a portent or some kind of, of, of sign from heaven. Because as the Book of Daniel says, when Daniel was delivered from the lion's den, do you remember this? He was pulled out, and Darius the the, the, the king said. Uh, you know what, this is a God who does signs not only on earth in the lion's den and protects his prophets from harm, but also he does signs in the heavens, which is an interesting phrase. And it ends up that Kepler says that it must have been it, that they were led to this king, to find this king. And, and they come and they say, where is this king? And, of course, Herod's not going to have that, just like a lot of us struggle to have someone else that's going to displace our you know, autonomous oversight of our own lives, right? We don't want to bow to a king. We certainly, don't want to bow to anyone that, that that is going to tell us what to do. And yet, the church, the last vestige in our crumbling Western society, that says, "Wait a minute, we do have a king, and he's not of this world, and he's a king that we follow, and we follow his dictates and his principles, and we don't we don't fudge on that. That's that's what what he says. What Christ has commanded, affirming the truth of the Old Testament and commissioning his apostles to write the New Testament. We we follow what it says, and we do what it says. And that's a humbling thing in our day, right? Increasingly so. For you to identify with people that are Bible-believing Christians, that's a, that's a hard thing. It's a, it's a humbling thing. Which made me think this morning of the uh, door to the church of the nativity. Right? You see that all going on on Christmas Day. You should tune in and watch. You know, they have all the pomp and circumstance of the, of the procession in Bethlehem at the church that was erected over the site where they think Jesus was born. And uh, they had a lot of problems with people running into the church and ransacking the church. And they would come on horseback. And so they took the entrance of the church. You can look this up and see how they shrunk it down to four feet, just under four feet tall. And uh, if you want to get into the church, the, the only way you're going to get into the church is by bowing down as you come through that door. They call it the, the door of humility. Which I think is so interesting, right? Everything about the scene of the birth of Christ reminds us of humility—a a, a teenage girl from Nazareth, right? This couple that didn't didn't even have place in an inn. They're certainly, a king that wasn't born in a palace. A king that was born to, to really the lowly class of Israel, uh, shepherds who were given the task of of, of learning this and proclaiming the message. I mean, it's just such a scene of humility. And now the church, out of necessity, years and years ago, built this door. Where if you're going to go in to see the place where Jesus was born, uh, you've got to. uh, The way they put it back in the day, you got to dismount your horse. You better take your helmet off, and you've got to bow down, and get through this little portal that's less than three feet tall. And I think that's what Christianity is really all about. It's about humbling ourselves whether you're a musician or you find yourself a CEO and leading people, a chairman of the board, we've got to humble ourselves before the fact that there is a king that's greater than we are. That's hard to see between the advents, because there are two advents, right? The advent of Christ, the fulfillment of his first coming, and then the second coming is when his power is taken and he begins to reign. That's a great line from the book of Revelation. He will take his power and begin to reign. But in the period between the Advents, we know the coming of Christ has established a relationship individually we have with God because he did the work of forgiving our sins. He gave his life as a payment, a ransom for many. And then he commissioned the church to go out and to make this message known in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth, to quote Acts 1.8. And that's what we're doing now for 2,000 years in a world that says we don't need it. We're not really interested in it. I mean, we'll put trees together and put you know, ornaments on them and lights around our house. And we'll, you know, we'll, we'll have sales for you to exchange gifts. But we're really not about adjusting our, our ethics, our morals, our priorities to some uh, ancient uh, traveling rabbi in Israel. And yet in reality, that's the only way we can have a right relationship with God and be ready for the time when the king comes back. Jesus, by the way, who was the fulfillment of Daniel 7, coming on the clouds of heaven and being presented before the ancient of days and having that God, the ancient of days, give him the Father authority so that all dominion should be given to him. When he talked about his second advent, he put it this way, I'm going to be coming on the clouds of heaven, and you'll see the Son of Man. And he's going to sit on his glorious throne. And here's his own description of the future coming. And I'm going to separate the people's before me as a shepherd would separate the sheep from the goats. And there'll be two classes of people, and that's it. Those that heard the message and responded to the message and saying, Jesus is the king, I believe it, even though he hasn't yet come to establish his reign, he did come to purchase our salvation. We want to embrace that by faith. We want to become followers of Christ. We want to become messengers of the message, and now we're ready to receive our king. And then the goats. There will be those that said not interested in that. I'm too important to take my crown off and to bow my life to Jesus Christ. I think I can figure this out. I'll just take a pole, I'll put my finger in the air and see where the winds of culture are taking us. And we'll just kind of decide for ourselves what the ethics and morals and priorities of life should be. I'm not interested in an ancient book and an ancient Messiah from some prophecy of the Old Testament. I'm not interested in that. And that's where most people are. They'll sing the Christmas carols. But see, that's why they'd rather have kids singing songs about cocoa and reindeers and sleigh bells and snow, right? But our kids here prepared a a message for you about the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He's not only the King of the Jews, he's the King of the whole world, the King of the Persians who come from the East, right? The King of the Americans, he's the King of everyone. And our job is to submit ourselves to him. And the hardest thing about that is that we're no longer in charge, That's what Christianity is real about. First, we accept his diagnosis, so we've got a sin problem. And that problem is not just one that messes up our lives, but it's a problem that puts a barrier between us and God. And we admit that we're sinners. And as we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then we recognize in that confession that he is the Lord. And 2 Corinthians 5.15 says, we no longer then live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. That's really what the Christian life's all about. And you know what? You can be a king. You could be a rich, young ruler, an attorney in the first century, Matthew 19. All you have to do is do that business with God where you say, I- I'm not going to stumble over the call for me to submit my life to you. Now, sadly, that uh, attorney did. The rich young ro- uh, ruler who was a lawyer, he, uh, he said, I can't do it. I don't want to give it up. And Jesus turned to his disciples and said, How hard it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God because they have a hard time laying down their crowns. But it isn't just the king Herod that had a hard time with it, right? There's a lot of people. As a matter of fact, all of us struggle with this. It's a humbling thing. We've got to dismount our horse, get off our high horse. We've got to go and bow down to a baby born in Bethlehem. And say, he was born to live the life that we should have lived so that that could be credited to me. And to die a death that I should have died by having my sins transferred to him. He rose again to prove that it all worked before the Father. It was acceptable. And now I'm ready. I'm ready to enter into the kingdom. Just like that man on the cross that died. Think about that. Here he was transferring his trust to Christ. And he said, today you'll be with me in paradise. No money you got to give to the church. No life of good works you have to do. Now, does God want us to do that? Sure, of course. But that's not how we get there. We're immediately qualified. As Colossians says, we are absolutely qualified to inherit the kingdom, all the riches of what God has in store for us. And as he says to those sheep that are on his right, enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. That's what our message is all about here at Compass. We preach it every weekend, we dive deep into a book that. I mean confessedly has some things that are hard to understand and that's why we work at it that's why we, the main thing in every building on our campus is a platform where we teach and we want to teach the word and so we invite you back to come and learn with us uh, this December and into the new year and that maybe God would be working on your heart to say I'm ready to submit my life to Christ, The Christians at this church, that's that's how we live. That's how we think, as imperfectly as we carry out that submission to Christ. That's what we do. That's our, that's our bottom line resolution. And that's because God has changed our hearts to see that Christ is king. And we hope that you do too. Rain or shine, whether our goats are in the parking lot or not, which I assume they're not. But we do have coffee and hot chocolate and donuts that, you know, if you... Go out the doors you're used to going out. You're going to leave us with so many donuts. The pastors are going to have to eat all the donuts (laughs) if you don't eat the donuts this morning. So have some donuts, and that's out those doors. Kids are going to be who knows where at this point, but we're we're keeping them dry. But if you see them in costume, be sure to encourage them. It's been a great morning to have you here, and I'm Certainly glad that you've come and spent part of your uh, Christmas season here with us. And let me close with a word of prayer. Maybe we'll sing just a real short Christmas carol here on the way out. But I just want to say thanks for coming and considering the claims of Christ with me this morning. Pray with me. God, we are grateful that you are a great God who rules heaven. And one day you will take your great power and begin to rule this earth. And you won't do it as an invisible spirit. You have sent your son to become incarnate, to put on skin and bones and fingernails and eyelashes and elbows. He is real in a body that is now impervious to death, and you've promised that you're going to dispatch him back to this earth, and all the prophecies of Daniel will be fulfilled, not just the promises of his first coming, but God, you are going to bring that kingdom to us, but the time that you're waiting is 2 Peter 3 says, is because you are patient toward us, not wishing that any should perish. And you know that unless we turn our hearts to you and submit ourselves to what you have revealed in your word, that we we don't have hope. Our only hope is trusting in Christ. So God, I pray for some this morning that within earshot of our kids who have been singing, that they might put their trust in Christ. So God, we commit that uh, message to this generation and even to this building and the people in it this morning. I pray you'd be honored by some bowing the knee to Christ in their own hearts. There's no cards to fill out or aisles to walk or hands to raise. It's just about them doing business with you in that seat. And I know that you'll change their lives eternally. I pray that you would. Thanks so much for Christmas, the season that we have to celebrate the incarnation of Christ in Jesus name. Amen.